Uh, once again, uh, golf spiritual leader and coach Tim gather around the Swing Thoughts microphones live from the, well, not really live. I mean, recorded in the Swing Thoughts studios in Guelph and Toronto. And great to be with you again, Coach Tim, as always. Good morning, sir. I feel like you and I, uh, like we talk quite regularly. We spoke the last couple of days. In fact, sometimes when we're talking on the phone and we're having our conversation, I'm like, well, we should just record this because this is what exactly. <laughs> this is. This is all anyone. This is all we do on the show anyway is just talk about the day to day vagaries of the game that we love so much. Uh, Hi, Howard. On my way home. I'm <laughs> That's right. That's right. We take turns. Tim and I take turns uh, making each other feel better after uh, less than uh, satisfying rounds of this ridiculous game. As always, uh, Swing Thoughts brought to you by JWApparelInc.com. Uh, the, uh, you know, neither of us can tell you what color anything that we're wearing is, but <laughs> we... Uh, Tim is uh, once again festooned in. Uh, I'm going to guess that's a B dratty polo. How's that? Uh, well, uh, it's, you're incorrect again. <laughs> Fairway and green. Fairway and green. Fairway and green, but it's actually. I've been told it's blue. All right. So. Well, you look great, man. Uh, for all your fashion needs, JWApparelInc.com, and of course, uh, we're really thrilled this year to be part of the NeuroPeak Pro family. If you're interested in. Precision breathing, heart rate variability, and brain performance. This company has got it all, uh, working with all kinds of tour players. And uh, now Tim and I working on our precision breathing. And as always, uh, this thing is baked fresh. And for the last seven years, tailor-made golf. You know, I saw an advertisement for the uh, new Stealth Irons are out now. We've both been using the uh, Stealth driver, and it's... It really is something. And over over time, the last 40 years, they've made so many, I don't know, inroads or advancements in, in this technology that if you're not using it, you're definitely missing out on something. And both of us have really enjoyed uh, being part of the TaylorMade family. Absolutely. Thing looks good, sounds good, and comes off the face. Excellent. Yeah, did you believe me when I told you I almost drove the first green at your golf course the other day? Yes, I believed it. Yes. Because I don't think you did. I, I, I think, I can't remember if I told you that or I sent you that in a note. And I, I felt a little bit of incredul- incredulousness coming back at me. And and, uh, and I'm just telling you, I'm 62 years old. That's a 300, it was 345. Downhill, yes. Downwind, okay. But uh, it was the first round of this two-man tournament I was in. And me and my partner both putted right off the fringe there, uh, down in front of hole one at your course. Sweet. Uh, I almost took a picture of it and sent it to you. No, I, b- I believe it. I mean, despite the fact you are a 62-year-old man and you keep yourself in good shape, I mean, you're taking advantage of, of uh, the most modern equipment possible. I mean, so how could it not be so? Yeah, I'm going to tell you, they call it carbon wood for a reason because that's what I got. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, let's move on now. Our guest today, the very first time in seven years that one of our guests has actually sent us. I was so impressed when I saw it because I was putting together some notes and looking at his website and I had re-listened to the Carl Morris podcast where I had first heard of him. And I was like, this guy is sending us like notes. You know why, Tim? Do you know why? Because he's a 
He's a neuroscientist. Exactly. He is uh, the author of eight books over the course of 30 years on the topics of emotional intelligence. It's fascinating. He works with athletes, coaches, teams, golfers, high-level performers. In, and by the way, he's not, he's, just, he's not just talking about it. He's competed and completed in over 40 triathlons including eight half Ironmans and is a five-time full Ironman finisher, which is not only impressive, but it's exhausting. (laughs) And thanks to our pal Carl Morris for uh, hooking us up with today's guest. Looking so forward to saying hello and welcoming Dr. Izzy Justice. Thank you, uh, gentlemen. Thank you so much for for having me. I'll have you know, one of my five full Ironmans was in Montreblant, uh, up uh, in your neck of the woods. I had a wonderful time over there. That was a fantastic venue. Well, first of all, before we get to golf, can I just say, you, you, do, Izzy Justice sounds like the name of a, a lawman in an old western. Like it's like, oh, watch out, Izzy Justice is coming to town. Um, uh, but thanks for doing this. I, I had mentioned to Tim, I had listened to you on with Carl, and I was instantly, I said to Tim right away, I sent him a note, I said, we got to get this guy in our show. For the most part of the last seven years, we've been talking a lot about how the brain works in, in golf, but maybe you could start us off, Izzy, by just talking about some of the work you've done and why it's so important in general, and specifically what it has to do with the world of golf. Sure. Thank you for having me again. You know, the uh, perhaps for for your audience, golfers, the best analogy I can use is think of the time when TrackMan came out or any version of, of these devices that allow you to track, you know, your ball speed and your launch angle and your RPMs and all those kinds of things. Um, if you look historically at golfers, it used to be, and I'm, I'm, I'm old, it used to be that uh, golfers didn't peak, at least uh, professionally, until their 30s. And obviously, we've all seen that massive paradigm shift. And one of the reasons, not the reasons, but certainly one of the reasons is that, you know, years and years and decades sometimes of trying to understand what you were doing with your swing and how to control the ball and path and those kinds of things was significantly constricted because of devices like the TrackMan. You know, the the eye cannot see something moving at, you know, 80, 90, 100 plus miles an hour and certainly not measure the ball speed and and attack angle and launch angle and, and all those kinds of things. About seven years ago, uh, and I think most human beings sadly um, are not aware that we are truly living in the golden age, Howard and Tim, of neuroscience. Um, if you think of the beginning of, of us, uh, whether you think that's Adam and Eve or you think it was six billion years ago, it doesn't matter. But, you know, um, the first time that the human being mapped the human anatomy, meaning there was a drawing that said, okay, here's your heart, here's your liver, here's your kidney, here's your muscle, was in the 16th century. The first time that the brain was mapped from a neuroscience perspective, really understanding how a thought and a stimuli is processed, how the brain gives it meaning, was 2008. So since then, you know, devices have been invented. I have been one of them, uh, where we essentially have a, 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 a trackment of the brain. And so we no longer have to guess. You know, all these cliches that we've been using, stay present, be in the moment, uh, one shot at a time, you know, that 
could mean something very valuable to one person and it could actually have a negative impact on the other. So the brain trackman has been the, the game changer. We can now see into the human brain because it's wireless, it's Bluetooth enabled. Um, we've had brain trackman technology since probably the 1950s and 60s. But Howard and Tim, you had to have like a big helmet on your head and 50 wires coming out of it and sitting on a chair, typically in a psychiatric office, it was the only place you could measure someone's EEG. So technology has allowed us to see into the brain and specifically for golf is what are you thinking when you're over the ball? What is the right thought to have? What is the bad thought to have? And finally, to be completely honest and uh, and transparent, um, I would say 75% of what I've discovered is completely by accident. I, I wasn't looking for it and they've been surprises to me. Um, so it's fascinating. It's just truly fascinating to live in a world now where you can see what is going on inside the brain. Well, Dr. Izzy, when most people think about the brain as it applies to golf, they go, oh, they're talking about the mental game and, you know, what the things I should think about. And that has nothing to do with helping me make a good backswing or something. But. Right. Isn't really the brain and the body, it's all one. I mean, golf is not just you have the mental game on a shelf and you have the physical game on a shelf. Explain to us how really in so many ways it's a holistic game in which the brain and body work together. Yeah, I, I <clears throat> again, I, I, I'm the way that I would characterize it, because you're not entirely wrong. The way that I would characterize it is that the brain is the king. By the it's way, that the was such a nice way of saying you're not right. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to use that. I, I'm going to start saying, well, you're not entirely wrong. I mean, your head's up your ass, but you're not yeah. entirely wrong. Yeah. Is, that where you start, yeah. is that where you start? You say, with all due respect, you yeah. know, That's, I'm you entirely know, wrong. That was so, no, and, and that again, was so you know, nuanced, uh, Dr. Izzy. I love that because you were basically saying, fine, Tim, but I'm a doctor <laughs> and a neuroscientist. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you work with a guy named Humble. So let's see where this takes us. But, but please answer the question. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, even my own thinking has evolved. Like, I mean, I'm, I've been doing this for 32 years and, you know, my own thinking in the last 15 years of how we work and, and it's what you just said, Tim, has evolved. I don't think, honest to God, that, um, you know, I think there's just an older way of, of, of thinking versus a newer way of thinking. The analogy I've used many times is. I was cleaning my garage, I don't know, last summer during COVID with, with my son. And on top of one shelf, he found that this big road atlas, you know, the ones we used to have in cars back in the day. And he was like, Dad, what is this? And I was like, oh, my God. You know, it was the, that 11 by 17. <laughs> That's right. It. What, what, by the way, was it made Was it made by Pearlies? Because when I lived in the States, that was the big atlas there. It but... was AAA. It was, oh, right. It was there you go. AAA. Yeah, yeah. And my son said, what the heck is this? And I was like, well, this is how we travel. Why didn't you use GPS? Like, we didn't have GPS. <laughs> and <laughs> so, right. you know, so that's how I view neuroscience. Neuroscience is GPS. And then how psychology and how we've been thinking about it is, is, the, is the road atlas. Both can get you where you want to go, but the GPS is likely to be more accurate and much more efficient. Well, but the king is the brain. So it's not holistic in that sense. Every part of your human body, your physiology, your biochemistry is in constant communication with your brain. And the neuromuscular function, which is what a golf swing is or putting stroke, is one of the many things that your brain is having to coordinate. Uh, well, that's where I want to sort of take it now, because the, the, the talking points you supplied were very similar to what I had 
gotten from listening to you on Carl's show and, of course, uh, Izzy's uh, website. I want you all to go there, and we're going to give it to you in a second because it's got, it's especially for you golf nerds that listen to us, one of the things that caught my attention, and, and you were talking, uh, this was the second episode of the uh, podcast you did with Carl, you talked about putting and this phrase that really resonated with me, which is holding the target. Yeah. Now, I know yeah. that's a, a little bit farther down in your what you wanted to. But let's just start with that. And sure. why and why is target connection so important in putting? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me backtrack just for like 10 seconds and then I'll get to the uh, target thing. What I've discovered uh, using the brain track man is that the number one issue in putting, it's not your stroke, it's not your putter, it's not your ability to read greens, um, it's not you know the line or the speed. These are all variables in putting, but it is not even close. It's not even a close cont- contest, but the number one issue in putting is mind wandering, right? So every three seconds, your mind is wandering. And the reason it is wandering so aggressively is because the stimuli outside of golf that our brain is consuming is infinite compared to what our brain is designed to do and what previous generations have had to do. Five generations ago, which is about 100 years ago, Howard, most human beings that ever walked the face of this earth never traveled more than 50 miles from where they were born. Same weather, same stimuli, same threats, same food, same kinds of things. Today, with just one hour of consuming what is on our cell phones, which is portable, we take it everywhere if we are, there's just a lot of, of monologue going on. So on average, there are 12 monologues going on per second. And only one of them is this is there is like what you and I are actually talking about. Mm-hmm. And every three seconds, because there's so many of them, your mind is going to wander to one of those 12. So when you talk about target, you know, taking the target, in my experience, is not the hard part. You know, you know where this ball is going to go, whether it's off the tee, or I'm sorry, where it needs to go, whether it's off the tee, or it's an approach shot, or you're putting, or you're chipping where you want to land it, where you want to finish it. That's not the hard part. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a target at the end of the day. But then when you get over the ball, your mind begins to wander. And in competition, it is not going to wander uh, to a nice memory. Oh, that great shot that you hit three holes ago. Oh, you you nailed it. It's typically going to wander to a negative place. That's what the brain is designed to do. So I have found that, you know, your ability to control your mind's wandering. So mind wandering is not a character flaw. That doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It's a human condition that we're living in now. This is why mental health is such a huge issue outside of golf, across across the board. So holding the target, which basically means you're preventing your mind from wandering, or you have the ability to recognize that your mind has wandered. Right. And so that is the king, because once there's a target in your brain, end of story, game over, because now the, the communication between your eyes your brain and your muscle is seamless. You're holding that target. And, I, and I've and i had hundreds and hundreds of people come to my studio. I put the brain trackman on them. I've never changed anyone's stroke, grip, putter, length. I'm not qualified to do that, to be honest. But when I, when I ask if they miss a putt, invariably, almost 9.5 out of 10 times, it's because they lost the target. Now, guess what? Nobody intentionally wants to lose the target. 
Did anyone go over a putt and say, oh, I'm not going to remember the way I want to hit this putt? <laughs> That's right. But, but if I just can just interject quickly, uh, and this is kind of gets back to what you sent us, and I thought it tied in perfectly, which is what, what you've just said. Is that why you think, I'm going to ask this in two parts, is that why you think that uh, putting is the most mental part of golf? And one of the things you've talked about with, with Carl on the podcast that I've already tried is I've practiced in my putting practice now is I hold the target, then I look away, and then I come back and see, I start to rehearse, I start yeah. to see if I can get back to the target as the last thing I, I'm thinking of before yes. I pull the putter back. And I'm going to tell you golf uh, nerds listening, it has, honestly, Dr. Izzy, I had a, a round recently where that's all I thought about during my, my, my round and I just putted fantastic. Just my, yeah. my because, I, and nothing changed in my stroke, nothing else changed other than I yes. kept I kept the target uh, more top of mind for more often of that round. Yes. So what you just said is something that I absolutely teach. And again, um, what the, what the neuron, so, so first of all, the brain has electricity, right? So we've known that 60, 70 years, that's not a secret. And so the good thing about that is we can measure it. And so there are different types of brain waves. There are bands like five to 15 hertz, which is the measure of electricity, is our alpha theta brain waves, which is green. Um, if you were to do a digital scan, which is different from measuring the frequency, that's green basically. When we have alpha and theta brain waves, then the that means there's low traffic in your brain. That means that the doors to your brain through your senses are other thoughts with the other mind wandering so when we get to that low brain frequency so a target by definition is a low brain wave frequency because it's something that's right there i I think i heard one of you talk about this that a, a target is not a judgment the target is not in the past and it's not in in the future the problem is um the brain has a system called a lifo which is last in first out So the last memory that you have that's similar to the situation at hand is the memory that's going to be retrieved. How many times have you been playing with someone and you have relatively the same line, he or she goes first and leaves it five feet short? What are the odds that your putt is going to be five feet past? Pretty high. What if on the third hole you had a left to right putt, let's say I'm making this up, a 10 foot left to right putt, and you lift and you, you know, left it short on on the low side. I guarantee you anywhere in the in the next hole that you have a similar left to right putt, your putt is not going to be short. It's going to be hard. So what that tells you that it's got putting has very little to do with the stroke and the mechanics. I don't want to diminish the, the role of, of the mechanics of it. But like I said, in comparison to your ability to hold the target, the drill that you just said, Howard, I, I, I love that drill. I teach that drill because in putting, your eyes are not on the target. And if your eyes are not on the target, that's going to be another window because it only takes three seconds for your mind to wander. And once your mind is wandering, especially when you're putting, because your brain knows it's going to be final. If I miss a fairway, if I miss the middle of the fairway by five yards, I'm still somewhere in the fairway. I'm not going to be happy, but my mind's not going to wander. If I miss a putt by five millimeters, that's a serious consequence. That's a stroke. I've missed it, you know, especially if it's inside 10 feet. So your brain, our subconscious knows that. 
So we have to become very good at knowing and sensing where our brain is. So that's why what you just said, Howard, about letting your mind wander intentionally is such a powerful way to build that awareness that, oh, I'm over the, the putt. I had my routine was fantastic. I have a good target, but I just lost it. Mm-hmm. And if you lose the target, the odds that you're going to hit it short or long have suddenly gone up significantly. Dr. Easy, when you talk about losing the target and your mind wandering, does that include someone standing over a putt going, make sure I keep my head still or make sure I accelerate through? And when you say holding the target, do you mean, say, a visual representation of the hole or you can remember that there's, say, you know, a, a piece of grass behind the hole that I'm going to aim at? Yeah, so those are two separate questions and very, very good questions. Thank you for for asking that. So mind-wandering, typically people associate mind-wandering with something negative, and it's not. Even if you say, I'm going to make this putt. So what I've discovered is that, you know, I, and again, I, I wish I, sometimes I wish I didn't discover this because it's so counterintuitive. We all talk about positive thinking, positive thinking. Positive thinking can be very, very harmful to the brain be, because of two reasons. Number one, you're predicting the future, which has a higher frequency, right? And what happens if you miss it then? So the consequences of, of, of even positive thinking, and again, this is so counterintuitive. I would never tell anyone not to positive think, but if you positive think at the, at the expense of holding the target, then you've lost the target. And the king is the target. The brain loves the target because it has something to do, something to send the neuromuscular sequence to. Um, and what was that, that uh, second one, Tim? Uh, I think it was that people are are thinking about Howard. Help me oh, here. We're, we're old people. Theory. No, no. I just like I just I, I just love that the three of us are like 180 years old, and literally none of us can remember the second part of the question. And when we go back and listen, we'll go, "Oh yeah, he asked that part." Yeah. No. The uh, the second part of it was uh, was the mechanics of it. Right. So what I have found is that um, you know that. If you can think of it as a sequence, not either or, and the sequence should be the first part should be whatever mechanical thing that that you want to feel. Maybe you want to feel, you know, a smooth stroke or your shoulders rocking or whatever it is. That's okay. The brain doesn't wander if, if you have a practice stroke where you have a mechanical thought. However, when you're over the ball and about to hit the ball, if you have a mechanical thought that uses a different part of the brain, it is something technical, it is something logical and rational. I want to move it here. I want to hit it this hard. Then you've lost the target. So it's okay to have a mechanical thought, but that cannot be your thought over the ball. Over the ball, it's got to be there is a target. And when you move your head back down to look at the ball, to send the ball to the target, some version of the target has to play. And then one last thing. Um, there's a huge, huge, huge misunderstanding, and I see so many very well-known putting instructors do this, and I don't think there's any malintent on their part. So I'm not being critical of them. I'm just saying that neuroscience contradicts what they're saying. They're saying you're either a linear putter or you're a non-linear putter. That is not true. The brain is both. So I don't like to limit the brain Because if you go to someone who uses a line and say, oh, well, you're a linear putter. Well, now you've limited that person to just, you know, a grain or 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 something. 
the brain is honest to God, like uh, this is not even my opinion. It's the most sophisticated phenomenon in the entire universe. It is capable of all kinds of magic. So thoughts that limit the brain in terms of what the target can be. So Tim, the target can be a grain. The target can even be a sound of the ball going in. It can be the sound of the ball going to the back of the cup. It can be something in front of the ball. It can be, you know, a, a, a little, a little, you know, scuff on, on the, on the, on the hole. But as it doesn't matter what the target is, and what is very unique about golf, unlike other sports, one second, is that, say, basketball, say, soccer, say, lacrosse, the targets are the same. They're in one geospatial area, right? It's the same basketball hoop. It's the same soccer field. It's the same tennis court. In golf, the targets are different because you're over 18, 25, 30 acres, and no two shots have the same target. So we must train the brain to have all kinds of different targets. But the key is based on the shot you want to hit, what is the target that your brain can hold? Right. Well, there's a couple things in there. And I, and I, I don't think I explained it very well. And I'd like you to take a little time and, and tell our golfers what we mean by that little exercise that I uh, gleaned from your talk with Carl. And I want to circle back to that in a second, because one of the things you say in your research that missed makeable putts, are the oh, yeah. most expensive shot in golf. Well, we could all surmise what you mean by that, but what do you, from a neuroscience perspective, yeah. why, is, why is that so expensive? And I say that in quotation marks. And again, uh, uh, Howard, this was one of, one of the many accidental discoveries. I was not looking for that. I didn't even know that that was something that you could measure. Okay, so by expensive, I don't mean the score. You know, so you a mixed makeable putt could be for par, it could be for birdie, it could be for a bogey. So the expense is not the score. The expense is what the brain spikes as it is judging what you have done. The key phrase is missed makeable, makeable putt, right? It's not a missed putt. It's a missed makeable putt, which typically for most of us is putt inside, you know, three, four, five, six feet there-ish in. So when I had the brain track men on and as well, and following players, I found that if they missed a putt that they thought, oh my gosh, I can make this in my sleep, that the mind wandering exploded. It basically went to somewhere around 60, 70 hertz. To give you a frame of reference, that would be like me getting news and, and my mom just passed away in May, but I remember getting that call and I remember feeling my brain going crazy. Like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? It was a surprise, what are we gonna do? Like there was nothing in the present moment that I could process. I kept thinking of memories that she and I had had. And putting does the same thing. How did I do that? I can't believe I missed it. I got to make I got to make it up somewhere now. I just gave the, the field a stroke back. The mind goes crazy, crazy. And the recovery time of that, which is what makes it expensive, can be as long as 20, as short as 20 minutes and as long as several hours. That's why, and I, I want to jump in and say that, that is fascinating to me because we've all experienced that, that, and we call it, you know, in our world here on Swing Thoughts, we would call it, you know, uh, you know, the you know, golf chaos. And, 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 you know, a lot of people, a lot of amateur golfers will have a, 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 a triple bogey and then they follow it by a double bogey, a bogey, and it yeah. takes them three holes to get back to some 
kind of in like I always use the phrase like your internal thermostat being at a nice sort of neutral place. Yeah. So not only is that mist makeable expensive from the stroke point, but you say it's expensive because it does what it does to our brain until we can sort of reconcile that. So back to my original circle back question. So knowing that it's expensive from a, a, a that perspective, um, let's go into some detail if we can about what, what I sort of hinted at, which is how do you train uh, and what are the ways to hold the target and train yourself to deal with the distraction? Yeah. So there are two parts uh, to uh, to answer that question correctly. The first part has nothing to do with um, something tactical that you can do over the ball or in your pre-shot routine. The first part is that if your baseline, so your baseline EEG is like similar to your resting heart rate or your resting metabolism. So if you go to play a round of golf and you've just been dealing with, you know, 500 emails and, and, and all kinds of things, your baseline is going to be significantly higher, which means that your ability to hold a target is completely compromised. And whatever I teach you or anybody teaches you, it's just not going to work because your brain waves is somewhere around 30, 40 hertz. So when your brain, when your baseline is that high, you, I mean, I'm sorry, but the brain, there's so much traffic in the brain that the communication between the eyes and the, and the brain and the muscles has so much competition for these other thoughts that are going on. So to me, one of the things that I do is, especially during tournament weeks, and there's an event in Canada this week, and I have four guys playing in it. And so I put them on what I call a mental diet that really starts on, on Monday. The, the tournament is tomorrow, Thursday. It starts tomorrow. But that's when you start to consciously bring your baseline down, down. And there are two parts to that, very similar to a physical or a nutritional diet. If you came to me, Tim, and said, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds in, in, in a month, I would say, okay, let's take a look at what you're eating and your exercise. Let's eliminate this and let's add that. A mental diet is no different. So on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I have all of my guys on all these tours say, okay, what are the things that I, I know my brain likes to do? And conversely, what are the things that my brain doesn't like to do? You know, I, for example, I do not enjoy talking to my mother-in-law. And I've been married 26 years. <laughs> oh, man. Hold on. Are you doing mother-in-law jokes now, Doc? I mean, <laughs> oh, that's fine. I wish it was a joke. That's hilarious. Is Shecky Green on Johnny oh, Carson? My God. Oh, my gosh. I wish I was joking. I've been married 26 years. And that's the funniest thing. The entire time. I love that. Um, it's, it's, and it's yeah. mutual. So how do, you, anyway. yeah, how do you hold that target in your brain? Aye. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay. But so you, know, you don't well, enjoy Keep going. Yeah, if if my mother-in-law texts me, you know, before my round or, or the night before, I'm not going to answer it because I know no matter what she says, it just annoys the living daylights out of me because I'm human, too. <laughs> right. And and we may have other other people or other experiences that we uh, we know our brain doesn't like to do. So part A of the answer to your question is it, you you got to go into your round with a low baseline. And I always tell people, if you have 10 minutes before a round. You only have 10 minutes and people say, oh, do you hit a driver? Do you putt? Do you chip? No. Sit in your car, turn some music on and close your eyes and listen to two or three songs. That'll bring your brainwaves down. So it all starts with what is your baseline going in? And again, I hate saying that. Like, it doesn't give me pleasure to say, well, there's nothing you can do if, if your baseline is high. 
The second thing is, so when we must, our awareness that the mind is wandering must be extremely high. So what are the clues that the mind is wandering? If you use the word don't, it's over for you. Just think about, so don't leave it short, don't leave it hard, you know, or, or, or past. Think about all the neural pathways, all the memories that have to be conjured, collected, in order for your brain to say don't. Do you think they were good? No, because there's a consequence, there's a memory associated with that. So if your brain suddenly says you've had a wonderful pre-shot routine, you got the target, you're holding it, and suddenly your brain says don't. You need to know, oh, my brain just said something that has, is, has caused me to lose my target. And that's why, and again, this is another one of those accidental, and this may be the most important message I, I can share with your audience, Tim and Howard, um, that, you know, um, the discipline that it takes to not hit a putt when the target is not clear is 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 the is the holy grail and so teaching yourself to to again be aware that your that your mind is wandering is the key part of it and then i have found that most putting routines and again another one of those counterintuitive things most putting routines in what i have discovered accidentally are actually detrimental so what i say here is and please give me like 30 seconds Izzy, Izzy, you take your time. You take okay. what you uh, need. Li- li- it's like uh, okay. it's like I told my ex girlfriend. If I'm not talking, it's because I'm listening. So <laughs> just good. enjoy that. Yeah. So a putting routine is not the goal. A putting routine is not the goal. The goal is: Do I have a target, and can I hold it? And so, a lot of times, depending on the putt, the target is very obvious. And so I see people still going through the routine for the sake of going through it because we've been taught that and suddenly the mind has wandered because it's the routine is serving no no purpose. So I have changed people's routine and I say, don't become a slave to your putting routine. Again, I am aware this is so counterintuitive, but become a slave to taking the target and holding the target. Once you have a target that you know, this is my target left cup, or it's going to break this way or, or that way. At that point, go to your ball and say, I need to do everything in my power to hold the target. And the biggest part of holding the target is the awareness that I've lost it. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. Well, just a comment before I get to my question is that I would suggest that if you listen to a song, it would be something like Pink Floyd rather than Metallica. Just yes, that's you're just right. What I'm thinking. No, no, but, you're right. I, I I listen to a lot of yoga music or a lot of instrumental. A uh, 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 fair point, uh, Tim. Okay. Well, I um, think Tim was trying to to be fair. Tim was doing doing a, a comedy bit, but uh, uh, yeah, Tim, what's your, <laughs> my favorite part of that? Is he though? Is I know him well enough now that he's been waiting for the entire explanation to make that. <laughs> <laughs> to make that joke, which shows you his mind was not on the target. Um, so I was wondering. It was. I, admit, it was I wondering. was wondering. But, uh, uh, so, but, but what I, I want you to first, you ask a question, and then I want to come back to something that Izzy is saying about, because in in, he talks about what is the most, we're going to have Izzy finish by telling us what the most wasted time in putting yeah. slash golf is. But Tim, ask your question. You know what? I can ask two questions. You ask two questions. I will. Dr. Izzy. Yes, sir. Is the value 
the same in the long game as it is in putting? I mean, when we're standing over a drive, should we be focusing on, say, I'm going to cut it off that corner or an approach? I'm going to hit to that 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 um, that tree behind there or better yet, as Bob Rotel used to talk about, not just the tree, not just the branch, but the leaf. Yeah. And, and what was the second question? Oh, I'm saving it. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you forgot it, which would make me laugh oh. even harder. I have two questions. Actually, that is clo- that is a, that's close <laughs> yeah. to the entire truth. Really I yeah. have two questions, the second of which I have already forgotten. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man. So, so at the end of the day, um, you know, I work with uh, not just golfers. Uh, matter of fact, golf is, is probably just a third. But in other sports, what I have in common is that most of the sports are target sports. You're sending a basketball to a hoop. You're sending a football to a receiver. You're kicking a soccer ball to uh, you know, a goal. These are target sports. And so in any target sport, uh, whether it's the long game, the approach shots, or the short game, or the, or the chipping, target is absolutely the king. You must have a target in your head because what that does is, and I think one of you said this earlier, the target is in the present moment. The present moment is the least judgmental. You know, it's not the past and it's not the future. The problem, again, is not so much that. We've been talking about visualization and target for a long time. I don't think that that's news. I don't think that it's news that, hey, it's good to have a target. It's good to visualize what your shot wants to do. I think what the news is that within three seconds, mm-hmm. your mind is going to wander. And yeah, it's again, gone. That's average. That's average. In competition, it can be one second. Sometimes you can lose the target in your downswing. In your downswing, your your brain can say, don't go left. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so. The more awareness that you can have in your pre-shot routine of when your mind is wandering, because that's the competitor, the number one battle in target sports is mind wandering. It is not technique. It is not taking the target. It's not visualizing the shot. It is mind wandering. Well, and Izzy and Tim, uh, this will resonate with you for sure, but it's almost analogous. analogous. Uh, it's uh, similar that part of the practice of meditation, you know, most people who haven't meditated don't understand that really the whole idea is to notice when your mind wanders during your yes. meditation practice. And the idea is bringing it back to the present moment is kind of the point of it and what you just said you know like i I play a lot of competitive golf and most recently you know i I was on the first tee of a a big tournament and i had my target and i was all ready to hit it but the putting green with all the other competitors were right next to me and in the time between my whatever pre-shot routine and getting ready to hit it i know i know before i hit that ball i became aware of everyone standing next to me That wasn't what I wanted to think. It just was what I, and I remember this clearly. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking of them. Now, as you said, we've said this on the show many times, Izzy. You know, uh, the way we put it is when it's your turn, take your full turn. And that includes if you feel uncomfortable over a shot, it's the practice of stepping away. It's the noticing that you've, you've missed, you know, you're not in that moment. So can you tell us why? Or have you thought of your second question yet, Tim? <laughs> I think I kind of asked okay. it, but I have another question. I just want what, Izzy to say, like, because you, you say this. Your statement is the most wasted, in, in parenthetically, poorly yes. used time. The yes. most wasted time in putting and golf is what? It's waiting for your time to putt. 
So we all play with with people, right? I mean, it's a two-some, a three-some, a four-some, and you're not always the first person to putt. Now, putting, when you're on the green, you know, you have to stand still, right? That's that's the courtesy that you extend to your fellow fellow players. When someone is walking or running or doing anything, the mind wandering is going to be less because your body is coordinating. It's moving from one place to another. So it's 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 sensing, you know, the, the pressure on your feet, your balance, all those kinds of things. But when you're standing still, the amount of things that your brain is coordinating physiologically, neuro, neuromuscularly is is almost zero because you're standing still, which is what the body is doing when you're waiting for your term time a turn to putt. When the body is not coordinating anything, the mind wandering is going to be the highest. So I have found that when people are waiting for their turn to putt, and again, it can be anywhere from a minute to sometimes 10, 15 minutes if the other guy is in the bunker or, you know, is far away. And then even when they chip up, they're still behind you kind of thing. But the mind wandering goes to a very crazy place. So to me, you know, that is the time that you really got to inventory what's going on in your brain. That's the time to intentionally mind wander, which is a crazy thought. So instead of letting your mind wander to where it's going to wander, let it force it to wander to a good place. What's a good place? Look at the clouds, look at the trees, feel the wind, you know, think of the, you know, the last two or three holes, what was the best shot that you hit? So intentionally send your mind it's still wandering because it's got nothing to do with the present moment, but it's not your turn to putt. I love that. So by, by waiting around, you're doing what I talked about earlier. You're increasing your, your baseline and then you're completely screwed no matter how well. That's why I find that most people, especially at the tour level, again, another accidental discovery, they miss a lot of birdie putts. You know why they miss a lot of birdie putts? Because they're last. They're to hit. the last. Well, yeah, you've hit it close. You're the last one to hit to putt. Yeah, and so they're waiting. That's and interesting. And so they're wasting that time. So, would you also recommend maybe running in place while the other people are putting? Because that is a physiological. Don't answer no, that. I don't, don't answer that. I, yeah. You're, okay. You know why? Because you're better than that. <laughs> yeah. You're too good hey, to I answer just, that question. Hey, have you got some new questions? <laughs> maybe this one will will be semi intelligent. Um, a few minutes ago, Doctor Izzy, you were talking about the mind wandering. To you've just you're 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 just transitioning into your downswing, and your body screams, "Don't hit it left!" Correct. I mean, how do we prevent that from happening? Because that happens to so many golfers. Yes. Yeah. So at that point, it's too late. I, there is no good answer for that. On your downswing at a hundred whatever miles an hour, this is why I go back to you've got to lower your baseline and you got to make your pre-shot routine. The focus of your pre-shot routine should be to 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 really hold a target. I promise you. I promise you, Tim, that when you when your brain says on the downswing, don't go left or whatever it is, you lost the target long before that. Yeah. Well, here's, I'm just going to interject. I'm just going to interject. My sense is what happens is, is that you've chosen a shot and maybe you've chosen a target that you're not comfortable with. Your subconscious is saying, you know what? You don't have that shot today or this lie is going to make this shot really uncomfortable. So your body is screaming, your brain is saying, you can try the shot, but don't hit it left, whatever you do. And really, your awareness should have said, maybe that's not the shot. Maybe I got to gear back to a yeah. seven iron rather than a hybrid. Yeah. I don't know. How's well, that? I think, I think that you are right, but it can also be these other things. Many players, 
play the same hole poorly. So I had a guy on the Latina tour. He, he shot nine under and he finished fifth. He made, uh, he was six over par on the same hole. It was a par three. In the practice round, he hit it left OB. On the actual tournament round, his brain said, don't hit it left. Mm-hmm. So your past experience, which is really stored in your subconscious, you are right about that. So uh, this is why I, I think, you know, we have to recognize that our brain is doing its job. Let me say one very important thing. Mind wandering is not a character flaw. Who we are on a golf course is a manifestation of who we are as human beings. The average EEG of a person alive today. So EEG, think of EEG as the noise in your head. The average EEG of a person alive today is the equivalent of a schizophrenic patient from the 1950s. That's according to 80-some thousand digital brain scans done by Dr. Daniel Amen. I've done 12,000. He's done 80-some thousand. But just let that sink in. Wow. So part of the problem and the challenge of golf is that outside of golf, our baselines are so much higher. So the odds that something that you your mind will wander are, are now higher. Well, I certainly get the fact that we go to the golf course with a already elevated, you know, brain uh, chemistry. And then, of course, the golf just overstimulates it. And before we, we're going to start wrapping things up here, but I do want to obviously thank you. It's been a fascinating discussion. Yeah. Um, getting back to what you're talking about with Tim about, you know, don't hit it left. So every golfer listening, and it's funny because over the years I've been playing and Timmy, maybe you've had this experience too, where at your home course, there will be a hole that that season for some reason, you know, just kind of bites you early in the year. And then for the entire, like number 10 at blue Springs, like that, that number, the the 10th hole at his golf course is insane. And, uh, I, I played it the other day in this tournament. I sent him a note after I said, I parred 10. It's the first time forever. But, um, my point. So let's finish off, uh, Dr. Izzy by saying, so let's say that pro or the average player at their own golf course has those thoughts. You come to that hole today. How do you replace don't go left or this hole always bites yeah. me. What's yeah. the replacement? Yeah. So again, I'm going to tell you something that is, I will tell you, I think every sports psychologist is going to disagree with me. What I have in my defense is TrackMan data. So I'm a slave to the science. So what I tell people to do is that in your warm up, all right, I actually want you to play your bad shots. So, let's say that on hole number 10 yesterday when you were playing it you hit it out of bounds well play hole number 10 because what you don't want is when you're actually on hole number 10 to be the first time that you're processing that ah. so practice your mistakes from the day before in your warm-up because that then allows the subconscious to move to the conscious which is where you want to do what you want to do. I know that sounds silly, but you want to do what you want to do. You don't want to do what you what you don't want to do. And the only way that you'll do what you don't want to do, who's on first, is if your subconscious <laughs> is if your subconscious takes over. And remember, everything that we have done in our entire lives, including golf shots, is stored in our brain. There is no delete function in our brain. There's only a replace function. So we can replace them. And the sooner that you replace whatever negative shot you have hit. So sometimes after a round, when one of my guys has a bad round, I have them go to the range and I have them play those specific shots, not work on their swing. 
because I got to go play tomorrow. Right. So and, and, and by the way, shot. to be clear, when you say go play that shot, imagine you're on that hole, and now yes. you're going to do. You're going to give your brain a do-over. Yes. And, and hopefully the outcome. So you put yourself, yes. you know, sort of uh, in that situation, and uh, it went left. But this time you're going to do some make an adjustment, so you get to see what it would be like had it not gone left. Correct. And on the range, I say, you know, okay, if there was a bunker on the left, visual, uh, on the range, there's no bunker, but see the bunker there, see the tree, see the hazard. You know, you cannot re, uh, uh, delete a negative memory. You can only replace it. Okay. Uh, there's a website I want you all to go to. I've been uh, looking at it. It's uh, very interesting. It's G-Y-R-A Golf, gyragolf.com, Dr. Izzy Justice. Uh, listen, man, I, I hope this won't be the last time that we can call on you because it went by too quickly. Uh, an amazing discussion. And uh, I, I hope you feel OK about it. You know, oh, wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I love the sense of humor and I love the uh, ebb and flow of it. Thank you so much for having me. Guys. And I would just say as uh, someone that just got to know you, you might want to replace his mother-in-law thing. Like, think, <laughs> think happy thoughts. I'm too old now. I'm too old now. <laughs> right. I don't care anymore. Yeah, there's, there's not only you want to replace her, not just the memory. <laughs> uh, Dr. Izzy, thank you very much, my friend. All right, Thanks. Cheers, Look at that guy. Just let yourself out. We appreciate it. There's Dr. Izzy Justice. That guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> You know, there's a talk about a high achiever. You know, he's like a neuroscientist, and he's run. Like a, I don't know. Like, I, do you ever wonder like what it takes to to be a triathlete? Like, you know, it's, you go out for just go out for a little run around for like 26 miles, and then go swimming. <laughs> like, I don't like and ride a bike, and then ride a bike. Like, how did that even get started? Was like people going, "Hey, running a marathon isn't enough." Well, I think I'd like to make that a little bit tougher. I think as a person who carried a lot of shame, <laughs> he was wearing a beat, beat it, the, beat it out of themselves or something. I once ran a 10K with my ex-wife. It was uh, this thing in downtown Toronto, and she was, uh, she was running half marathons, and I could barely get 10K. And I remember getting into an argument, as only married couples can. Although we were literally in a, a group of thousands of people arguing all the way up Young Street. And, uh, and you know what the argument was started on? She was running faster than me. I did not like it. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I was getting aggravated because she was her pace was too much for me. And then we got into a snarky little discussion. God. Anyway. It made me think of... Uh did you ever remember the show Malcolm in the Middle? Yeah, yeah, kind of. I've never. I, yeah, I remember so Malcolm's mother. Yeah. Malcolm's mother goes to a book club, and they all drink a bunch of wine, and and they start they start talking about the uh, the neighbor who uh, she runs marathons, she makes perfect food, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. She's a perfect lady, so they all decide they're going to terrorize her. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, you know, one of the things he said that I, I think uh, I want to just. Let it, just to reiterate that I thought was fascinating, many things, but mm-hmm. the time wasted on the green, walking around, and, uh, and, and it's interesting what he said about birdie putts, because you usually are the last person. You're the closest oh, yeah. to the hole. Um, and I know from tournament experience, because those rounds are really long. You know, at the Senior Am this year, they handed us our scorecards, and they have a time par on there. And the time par in the first round was four hours and 40 minutes. Like, at the club golfer level, if we played today in four hours and 40 minutes, people are losing their minds. Exactly. So there's all this time, and in those tournament conditions, you know, basically, from hole one to 18, you're going to be waiting on every shot. And isn't it interesting what he said that that time waiting is when you are, you know, 
sort of uh, at the mercy of what your mind is going to think. And yeah, if you start getting into the story and the narrative. Well, it's hard oh, not to. If I, make, if I make this or, geez, isn't it too bad that I didn't make that putt back on number eight and all that stuff. But I love what just, he said about giving your mind something to think of intentionally. Let it wander. You know, and he talked about a lot of the stuff, you know, we dueling stuff, you know, eyes on the horizon, noticing the world, uh, thinking about something on purpose. Getting out there. Yeah. yeah, like thinking of trees, feeling, using your sensations to get in, in the present moment. And basically that occupies your mind from getting into a narrative so that you can take care of the task at hand. Um, I, th- I, uh, I would love to get him back on uh, another time because there's so much to uh, plumb, if you will. Yeah. Plus his name is fun to say. Exactly. <laughs> like that goes a long way in our... <laughs> In this show, a if you're a guy with yeah. a cool name, yeah, if your name is fun to say, we'll have you back, even if you don't know what you're talking about. But is he justice? Is that's like from the old west? Oh my god! I know. I love. I love. I, I, so would uh, Clint Eastwood play him? Yeah, Doc Justice. How is that for a name of a? It's a. Uh, um, hey, uh, I will tell you this. So I listened to the Brain Booster podcast. Actually, it came on the recommendation of one of my double D's, a guy I've become good friends with, Grant from New Brunswick. They have the internet in New Brunswick now. It's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> he hates, he hates when I do that. I just keep, because I just do the whole Eastern, I do the whole Toronto thing with him. Like, I, what time is it there? Do you, is it, are you, is it Tuesday? Anyway, they have the internet now and uh, I, he recommended I listen to that. And anyway, that, the point I'm getting to is Saturday, I, uh, and I hadn't been really, I haven't been playing well for the last two or three weeks. It happens, you know. Happens to tour players. When why wouldn't it happen to us? Like why we think we're supposed to be exactly the same every week of the golf season? So I went to the golf course on Saturday, and I was very. I only had two things in mind. One was I was going to work on this idea of holding the target versus working on my stroke, and then the other thing was uh, from the world of decade. Uh, there's a guy named M- Michael Larden who Fawcett recommends. Oh, yeah. And one of the things, you know, keeping statistics, one of the things he's said, and I'm sure I've said it on the show, is that the most important stat you can keep is your mental scorecard. And it's very simple. It's uh, on a par four. Give yourself a score at a four based on how focused you were on the target for every shot. And so it was weird. I had my lowest round in about three weeks. I was under par for most of the day. I shot 71. But in the end, I really it was the highest I've scored on the mental scorecard for about a month because I wasn't thinking of anything but target on every shot. And I tried to be as present as I could. And of course, things worked out a little bit better than they had been where the last few weeks, I think I've been a little bit too concerned with technique over target. And that's a, that's a recipe for chaos. Well, the whole aspect of target has been something that I've really been taking a dive into in the, in the last month or so. And I think it's one of the reasons why I've been playing some pretty good golf myself. But I've been experimenting with things like just having people putt, say, about a six or eight foot putt. And they're looking at the target the entire time while they're putting. And what I notice is that they have a lot more freedom in their stroke. 
and the pace is usually really good and the accuracy is really good. And then they'll come back, then I'll have them get, have that experience and then they'll come back to the ball and say, I want you to still have a sense of the target even though now you're looking at the ball while putting it. And I find that that freedom can still exist. They mm-hmm. can still, and they can still key in on the target, hit the right pace, and their accuracy is better. I just think that it's so interesting to me how connecting to a target allows the body, which, you know, certainly I've said ad infinitum, is that it allows the body to do what it needs to do. Uh, one of the uh, players in the PGA tournament last weekend, I, I've forgotten already who it was, but every time he went to putt, Paul Azinger um, basically remarked, oh, he's a real point-and-shoot putter. Yep. You know, basically sort of, oh, it was uh, Lucas Glover. You know, he, he takes his practice wings, but when he gets over the ball, he looks at the hole, looks back to the ball, and putts it. And it's not that he's rushing it, but but he's he the time between target acquisition and stroke is very short mm-hmm. and i feel like that's a good recipe for anyone listening to at least at least try uh looking back at the ball and seeing if your mind is still thinking about where you wanted to hit it and as far as heads up putting that's a sasho mckenzie thing which we should definitely get mm-hmm. we should try and get him on he's a canadian guy but he's the heads up putting guy and it's funny the last two days i played in a two-man event with a very good player, uh, finished fourth this year in the Ontario Senior M, my buddy John Ward. And John puts everything heads up. Cool. And it's, it's phenomenal how good his pace is. And the only time it makes me, it made me a little nervous because I've done it. I've done lag putting, heads up, of lag you putting. Have. You've tried everything. <laughs> but I'll tell you, it's the best. Lag putting from distance, like 30, yeah. 40 feet, heads up, you will freak yourself out how good your distance control is. Exactly. It's when he got to four or five feet and still did it, it sort of made me a bit nervous. But he, he puts wonderfully doing it. And to your point, his stroke, his, it's just so. It seems so natural, I guess, is the way to describe it. You know, like, is it technically? I don't know. It seems just very flowing is a way. And I think people listening should give it a shot. Absolutely. And one of the values of it is that it makes you less cautious. It makes you less self-conscious of self, self-conscious of what you're doing. Yes. And just allowing that thing to happen. And, and, and we... You know, we've talked that flow happens when we're not consciously trying to do something, when we're not saying, you know, keep your head still or make sure I accelerate. Because your body will naturally do that in recognition of, of a target. We could go so much farther with Dr. Izzy. I mean, you could just go well and, crazy on it. But I really think that that whole thing of... <laughs> Of, of target is just makes so much sense. I'll just like I'll, I'll just throw this at you. One of the things that I was experimenting with, um, I think it was last week. I was just practicing chipping, looking at a spot where I was going to see where I would just try and land the ball. And when I was looking at that spot while chipping, I was amazed at how accurate I could be. Yeah. I mean, I just just I just find that amazing. Um, and I would say very similar, you know, like uh, I because you know, I, I want to talk about a round of yours here before we finish off the show. But, um, 
you know, in that round, I not only used that technique of holding the target, and I really did take some time in the putting green to practice. It's weird to practice being distracted and then coming back, getting the target, and then hitting the putt. Because, as he said, you know, there's it's so easy to be distracted while you're playing. Um, yeah, hey, but before you... Before you transition there. I'm not transitioning. Um, I'm just trying to finish what oh, you okay. I'm trying okay. to finish but, off your point about chipping. It yeah. It's the same thing. If you, the last thing I'll do when I chip or pitch, and I do it already, but I mean, it was really focused on, um, okay, I know where I want it to end up, but I want to hit that spot. And that is such a powerful thing in pitching and chipping because at least you're trying to do something as opposed to what I think a lot of people do is just wave at the ball and cross their fingers. Now, what did you want to say? Is there? What did you well, want to I say? think uh, something that our listeners could try is something that I remember Davis Love the third talking about, um, I think, after he won the Players' Championship. And he was struggling with his putting. Like a lot of golfers, he was kind of bound up in mechanics and just he was just struggling a bit. And so what he and Rotella worked on was Take a look at the at the uh, at the target, whatever it is, and as his eyes come back to the ball, then start the stroke. Yeah, I can see that. And he just and Davis Love he had so much more freedom, better energy transfer into the ball, all that good stuff. So, folks, if you're struggling with your putting a bit, work try something like that, and that's partly what the quiet eye methodology is about is is helping with all that kind of stuff but i I think when dr izzy talks about mind wandering it's i think it's a similar thing when say you hit a shot it goes oh damn it it went went to the right and then your mind starts to go how do i correct that whoa 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 you just know that's not going to help you or or damn it i made double bogey Oh, Mm -hmm. oh my god here we go again that to me is the same as mind wandering and I think it's just being aware of again, the phrase that I've loved that you use is that is that thermostat that mental is being aware of of you know uh, uh, how caught up in this am I right now am I, uh, where are my emotions at what am I thinking about and then when we have that awareness we can just sort of tamp it down and lower that thermostat which is where I think well uh, I'm convinced that that's where. <laughs> performance happens um by the way back to uh rotella's uh, work with davis love if you just google this i can see it in my mind's eye clearly davis's putting routine it's very much what we're talking about so go google that uh i now i want to talk about a a round of tim's uh before we wrap up the show but you know you talk a lot about the body and the body knows but and i think what is he sort of not that he corrected you, but it's very sweet the way he said it. Tim, you're not completely wrong, or whatever he said. Entirely, you're, you're not, not entirely, entirely wrong. wrong. You're that was fantastic. And, and the guy's a neuroscientist, so he's not being, you know, uh, it's not an opinion. But but the idea is that your brain, which is your body, given uh, less interference, I think is a yeah. is marrying both what he's saying and what you believe is that your brain with less interference can allow your body to do naturally what it can do. Like I spend a lot of time on block practice of my putting and my main, you know, sort of obsession the last couple of months when it comes to putting is, you know, I use a mirror at the beginning of every, you know, session just to take 10 or 15 strokes to make sure my eyes are where I want them to be. And then I put it away and then I do random practice. Let's talk about, uh, because you were very excited. I mean, I, you know, I, I was uh, happy that I shot under par. So I got a note from Tim, and I, I didn't 
come back right away with, oh, yeah, I just saw under par. I got a note from Tim, and you were very excited about a recent round, and I, I wanted to congratulate you, and uh, I sent nothing back but felicitations. And, um, and it was your second nine, I think in as many rounds, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, where you got to be under par for nine holes, which I think is... Uh, is amazing not not just amazing because it's you but it's amazing for anyone and and you were telling me you know your handicap has come down but maybe just uh tell us a quick story if you can of this uh recent breakthrough and then we'll finish off another uh episode of this uh this thing that we do um well it's it's been a really interesting month or so and really what i'm aware of is just how i've just come to a spot where I'm not always going to the first tee with some kind of uh, strategy or or plan or this is the thing I'm going to do today. Stay connected to the club or, or even swing to the target. It's been more like just a sense of of feeling a swing sort of in my body and, and, and that's it. I still go through my routine and all that kind of stuff but I just find that um, in many ways I just find myself releasing better to whatever target it is whether it's a you know a three-foot putt or a drive and um yeah my scores have been much much better and so it was funny uh about a week ago um i forget what the event was i think it was just uh, i don't know what oh it was it was men's night and uh, it was going pretty well and i oh it was our scoring nine. We teed off on number eight and played nine, and then we came off um, uh, came off the eighteenth hole. One it goes, "Hey Timmer, nice thirty-five you threw at us." Really, I didn't know that, and uh, I think that's one of the beauties of um, shotgun start. So that was kind of cool. And then on Saturday, uh, we're playing a regular hustlers thing, and. I knew I had it going pretty well, but I wasn't really sure. It was I didn't have the greatest front. I was I knew I was like forty ish something, and then I finished. I just knew it was going okay, and and uh, finished. and And Dave said, "Hey Tim, one under for the back." And it was like, "Holy shite! That's twice in a row." Watch your mouth now, okay? Watch your <laughs> mouth. Don't get in. Don't get into one of your swearing jags. There you go. So anyways, it was just like, whoa, I'd never been under par on nine at Blue Springs ever. And I did it two weeks in a row, two yeah. rounds in a row. Two rounds so, in a row. Uh, so so by anyways, the way, I'm sorry, I got confused. Was it, was it the same nines? Yeah, both on the back nine. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, well, and one of the things I want to comment on, first of all, is congratulations. But also, it kind of goes to show you that, and my buddy Henrik is what used to say this to me all the time. He'd say, you know, it's not as hard as you think it is. You know, you're a good player. You're a five or six handicap. And and it's not out of the question that you could shoot under par. It, it, it really doesn't feel much different. I've said on the show a bunch of times, like, you know, uh, you know, the, this, this round I had on Saturday, I was two under par on the front nine. And no part of that seems surprising to me mainly because I've done it enough times. Now, it used to be I'd be under par, and I didn't make a bogey that day until the 11th hole, but it used to be if I was two under par on nine holes, I'd be looking at the clubhouse wishing I were in it. Exactly. I mean that. Like, I I would be somewhere on the back nine knowing I was a couple under or one under or whatever it was, wanting the round to be over. 
And it's taken me a while to get over that feeling of, oh, this is going too good. But what I want to say is that it's not surprising that you can be under par for nine holes. And it wouldn't surprise me if you said, hey, uh, how man or whatever you call me. Hey, buddy. Uh, I call you Howard. That's how weird. You. <laughs> it's funny because a few people call me Howie, including my, my, my buddy, uh, John, nope. the guy I played with the last couple of days. And I don't mind it. Because it's, you know, sort of, I don't, it used to bug me, but it was You're not weird. a Howie to me. But I know. Not a Howie the funny thing me. is, so he calls me Howie, and the two guys we played with yesterday also got on the Howie bandwagon, could not get off it, but I just found it so cute that I'm like, ah, fuck, call me Howie. I don't exactly. Care. But uh, they were, it was like so many Howies, more Howies than I'm comfortable with. Anyway, it uh, would not surprise me if you called me up one day and went, Howie. Uh, I shot under par for 18 because now that you, here's the thing I'm getting at doing it for nine is no different than doing it for 18. Mm. You just have to do it a few times where you're on the back nine and you're a couple under or one under and you stay there as opposed to what happens, you know, you know, you bogey a couple holes and you find out, Hey, I was I shot 73. If I just hadn't bogeyed three of the last four holes, I would have shot 70 and it's not that hard. It's not, my point is for the same amount of effort, your day, I think you shot 75 or 76 that day. It could have been even par. It wouldn't have been that big a deal, right? That's my point, if I have a point. Well, I think the, the part of the, the value of talking about my recent experience that it connects so perfectly to me with what we're talking about with, with Dr. Izzy. So I think people listen to the podcast recall that we chatted about three or four weeks ago that uh, during a round, I got to I got to three over and then I made three birdies, um, three birdies on eleven and twelve. And all of a sudden, like holy crap, I'm even par. Whoa! Wait till I tell Howard. Howard <laughs> That's right. Howard. The story. The story and, begins. And, yeah, exactly. And oh, what will happen if I put in a seventy-two? What will that do my index? That to me is mind wandering. Yeah. And it's being aware of that. And during that round, I finished with. Uh, Something like, yeah, four bogeys for, for a 76. What's a little bit different now is that, uh, believe me, I, I get caught, is is I found myself, I knew I had it going well on Sunday, and it was I could feel some tension, and then I would just go, oh, Timmer, you're getting caught in that nonsense again of the storytelling and whatnot. It's just like, just get get right back into the conversation. Don't look at the trees, whatever, just be there and I, and I could find myself just settling down a little bit I could find just the, the tension would just would would ease away and but that man that's the the fun of this game is 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 that striking that balance between like my own competitiveness and I oh I want to get better and I you know I'm no different I want to see my index go down I'd love to win all that but it's striking that balance between keeping that sense of, say, that freedom and having some fun and all that. Because it's nice to shoot low scores. I mean, it, it, that's. Re- but if that's what it's all about, then it becomes way too big. It, it, it becomes. That's when I think. That's when the nonsense happens. When uh, people lose their shit and empty their golf bags and. Oh, for sure. I, well, I can tell all you that nonsense. Um, you know, I was feeling a lot of. Uh well, too That's quick. Golf hell stuff. Yeah, a lot of uh, emotional. <clears throat> um, I don't know. 
I was getting very angry. Uh, I was basically basically from the senior am to the next tournament I played into the next tournament. It was a lot of very sort of old sort of wounds and being pissed off and seething inside, you know. Uh, one of my guys, Grant from New Brunswick, he said to me, he reminded me, he said one of my favorite GSL quotes is that golf is a series of uh, great moments uh, interspersed with seething. Exactly. I, I, something like that. But the point I'm trying to make is that, yeah. you know, golf comes and goes, too. I mean, that's not I, I had this conversation with my buddy Henrik this morning about, you know, tour players. And how, you know, uh, there's that guy, uh, Sepp Strack, I believe. You know, he missed six cuts in a row. Six cuts in a row. Six weeks in a row. He got ready for a tournament. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, played. Gone, gone, gone. And then he finds himself, you know, finishing second. Getting a playoff to win the tournament. And so we're no different. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you go through periods of time when golf seems easy. And then you go through periods of time, you know, when it's, you know, anything but. And... I guess the the point I'm trying to make is it, I I decided last week that I needed to give myself a little bit of forgiveness and go out and enjoy myself. And it started with playing with my brother and his partner. I just enjoyed those couple of days. There was no consequence to it. And I played great. I mean, I shot a couple of low 70 rounds and and such. And then I went out with Fitzsimmons on Friday and had three holes where I literally couldn't stop punching myself in the face. Um, and again, it's, it pissed me off, but I, um, you know, I recognize that again, I'm just human. I, I, I want to, I want to put good scoring and good playing in the right place. And then this tournament, this two day event I was just in, I, I really had no moments of seething because it was all fun for me. Uh, John and I were talking about it, that, that it felt different for both of us. And he played very well in the senior am, but it felt different because, it was a fun event. Nine holes were a scramble. Nine holes alternate shot. So, you know, it was kind of getting outside of yourself. And and that's kind of the last thing I'll say that that's for me at least. And you said it very well. Not being so conscious of oneself is probably a, a nice recipe for a better golf experience. Uh, I found my own quote. It's uh, <laughs> some golf is moments of joy surrounded by low levels of seething. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's one of my favorite. The fact, I love the fact you could quote yourself, <laughs> but it's true. That's it's we, we, uh, for me, that's what golf is. A lot of the time there's moments of joy. And then this low grade aggravation about not living up to some, self-imposed standard you know exactly. it's so dumb exactly. well where i i find this really all connects and is is that you know we've been talking about things we refer to people like tim galway you know back in the 80s you know get out of your own way fred shoemaker talking about how we perceive the world and what i find so fascinating now is you've got people like easy justice yes i like saying his name Showing that neuroscience corroborates what those guys were talking about. Yeah. And particularly Galway was saying like, you know, just like in tennis, focus on the seams of the ball or 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 back hit stop. As you, and that takes you out of your conscious mind. Fred Shoemaker would talk about if you're not aware that your mind has this tendency to go to the past – You'll recreate the past all the time. And Dr. Izzy was saying, you're standing over a putt or you're waiting to putt, and, and, and now your mind starts to wander, and it'll go to the past. 
You know, say, oh, don't miss this putt, or this could happen, or this bad thing could happen. So what I, I love about what he's talking about is just, again, it comes back to that big topic of awareness that if we pay attention to what's what we're feeling and what we're thinking about, then we can respond and you can catch yourself wanting to punch yourself in the face. <laughs> um, if you're not and using... It doesn't mean you turn it around right away, but it gives you... It gives you an awareness that, oh, where I'm at right now is not too damn good. Well, and he said it can take up to 20 minutes or more for that yep. level for your, you know, your EEG or your sense of, you know, or your cortisol, your chemical spikes to come down. If you're not using uh, TaylorMade products, what are you doing? Why even bother? TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Learn more about the latest TaylorMade products. And uh, if you have a chance to get fitted in one, uh, one of the labs across the country, take advantage of that. It really is... Uh, essential if you're serious about the game uh, deal with people that are serious about making it better for you also NeuroPeak Pro precision breathing go, breathing, go to NeuroPeakPro.com and uh, look good and play the game in style uh, with fashions from uh, Fairway and Green Zero Restriction and more available through JWApparelInc.com O'ConnorGolf.ca sign up find out what's going on with Quiet Mind and uh, Timmy's uh, blog very informative and of course, uh, you can find me uh, most days at humbleandfredradio.com. We'll see you next week. Mighty strictly rhythm, he doesn't want to make it cry all soon.